I'm Evelyn Glennie, and you're listening to the Evelyn Glennie Podcast. Well, being a percussionist myself, I love chatting about all things percussive. It's a never-ending journey of discovery and wonderment. And on the whole, the percussion world is a fairly tight-knit community, and we all like to share things and chat about new instruments and the latest techniques. So today, I'm truly in my element, because my guest is one of the most diverse and versatile percussionists I know. Neil Percy has been the principal percussionist of the London Symphony Orchestra for over 20 years and has for many years been head of the timpani and percussion department at the Royal Academy of Music in London. So the list of people Neil has collaborated with is indeed impressive, from Ravi Shankar, Steve Reich, Pierre Boulez, Sir Colin Davis, Sir Carl Jenkins, just to name a sprinkling. And he's worked very closely with many of our great film composers in both live and studio settings. So if you hear the percussive explosions and colours on films such as Harry Potter, Star Wars or Braveheart, you will more than likely be experienced the mastery of Neil and the fabulous London Symphony Orchestra percussion section. And I think the other thing about Neil is that I've never actually seen him without a smile on his face. You're always smiling, Neil. <laughs> I think it's... Well, thank you so much for that introduction, Evelyn. That was, I, I don't feel worthy of that. So thank you so much for your, for your kind words. I, I think the smiling thing is I've always been, you know, kind of a, a bit of a fond person. Uh, most people, and, and you'll know, is that uh, I do like a joke. <laughs> uh, and I, I certainly think that during these times at, at the moment that uh, to, to retain one's sense of humour and to, you know, I say to my wife, we, we try and have a really good belly laugh every day, <laughs> even if it's at some, laughing at something ridiculous. Oh. I think it's kind of important. And also in what we do, you know, this, this some would say it pressured world of, of having to deliver and continually come up with the goods. I think to always have a, a keen sense of humour and to, and to just look at it as, as, as a way of having fun certainly, you know, keeps me on the straight and narrow. Absolutely. I and I think that point of the fact that what we do is actually quite serious um, there's an mm -hmm. awful lot of pressure, that stress and release all of the time. And sometimes you have to mm -hmm. analyse what you do, sometimes, you know, almost in solitary confinement, and other times you're able mm -hmm. to share it. But actually time gives you that perspective to, to then mm -hmm. see the bigger picture and whereby we can perhaps smile a little bit more about it. So it is getting that balance, which is quite important. But it, Absolutely. <laughs> but one, well, now I'm going to laugh all the way through this podcast. But um, one of the <laughs> things I did want to ask, because I've never asked you about this, even although we've known each other for a long time, but we haven't actually got together that often. And so I haven't mm -hmm. really understood what your musical beginnings were, you know, how you got into music, what was your musical environment within your family? Mm -hmm. Well... Great question. And I mean, again, just to say, we have known each other forever, uh, but it's, it's usually been you stood at the front of the orchestra and me sat down at the back of it. Uh, and, you know, it's been over a cup of coffee or, or whatever. So it is really lovely to have this opportunity to, to sort of talk about things we don't normally get a chance to talk about. 
beginnings for me was I, I had an incredibly musical fam family. My, my dad was a drummer, uh, and both my uncles uh, were, were drummers too. So that was kind of there right from the beginning. Uh, my mom was a really talented singer, so I don't ever remember a point uh, there ever not being music in the house. Uh, and my mum and dad were both jazz lovers, so my dad used to, to have a big band and my mum used to sing in that, and that kind of music, and indeed any sort of music, was just really important to our lives, really. Mm. So they were massive influences right from, from the word go. Indeed, all my family were. Mm. And then I got the opportunity to go to uh, Cheatham School of Music at 11. Wow. Now, that, that, you know, we're, we're talking a long, long time ago now. We're talking early 70s. And uh, it, it kind of blew my mind because I wasn't a particularly uh, talented musician. And I think I got in by the skin of my teeth. And I certainly realised that that was the case when I was just confronted by this amazing array of talent amongst my peer group, really. So, you know, whilst I was struggling, uh, I hadn't really started playing percussion seriously at that point, uh, and I was playing piano, and I quickly realised that I was going to be no pianist, you know. Uh, just, just to give you an idea, uh, in our, we had a little percussion ensemble that, that my first teacher used to run, and uh, in that percussion ensemble was uh, Stephen Hoff, Ooh, wow. who was a, was a brilliant snare drum player, uh, Wayne, Wayne Marshall, oh, who was a fantastic timpanist. Uh, and that's, you know, so I, I understood very early on that if, if I'm dealing with musicians at 11, 12, 13, and, you know, Wayne was playing the Gershwin Piano Concerto by the time he was kind of like 12 or 13. So you kind of uh, get to know your place <laughs> real quick. <laughs> <laughs> when when you're in an environment like that. So uh, it wasn't really till I started playing percussion seriously and realised that that was going to be the right direction for me that I really seriously started to put some time into it. And like all of those things, once you really, really start to work, then things kind of start to happen. Mm. So that that was my sort of early background from 11 right the way through to, to 18. Uh, and then uh, kind of a year before you started at the academy, uh, I started at the Royal College uh, and was lucky enough to, to have some fantastic teachers there, mainly Alan Cumberland mm. and Mike Skinner. Uh, and in the same way that you had that wonderful relationship with Jimmy Blades and Nick Cole, uh, I was kind of having a, a, a similar brilliant experience with, with Alan and Mike. So, you know, I know how important those relationships were to you mm. and it was exactly the same for for me to be perfectly and honest it's sort of interesting in a way how the people who often influence us or where we we, we truly listen is in fact the people who are right there on our doorstep you know you mentioned mm. wayne marshall and stephen huff i mean those are extraordinary musicians who are extraordinary people as well and and their interests mm. are so varied and I think it is, you know, always an interesting journey when you're that age, you know, a young, young person mm -hmm. starting out and you're quite daunted by who's around you. And you always think everybody else is, is sort of so, so much better than yourself. And but it, there must be something within you that says, well, hold on a second. 
this is what I also want to do. You know, this is this is the mm -hmm. path that I, I want to explore. And there has to be that kind of stalwart something or another that, that's inside of, of a person, you know. Well, the amazing thing about about being able to, to mix on a daily basis as a kid with with your peer group who are so talented is if you've kind of got any gumption at all, you'll learn from them. Mm. <laughs> so to be surrounded by this incredible talent, and it, it wasn't just Wayne and, and Stephen, they were, they were just everywhere you looked and listened mm. were just amazing young musicians. Uh, and not all of them uh, rose to the, the heights that, that we see with, you know, your good self and, uh, and, and Stephen and Wayne. Uh, but there were some incredible musicians. So I think I had the nous to kind of like, well, why don't you latch on to that? And if nothing else, just mm. copy it. Just what is it that they're doing that is really, really good? And try and mm. do something with the talent that, that, that I've got. Uh, and, mm. I, you know, I've never been massively talented, I think. So I've always had to work. I've always had to work really, really hard Whereas, again, being in an environment like a, a specialist music school or whatever, as, as you'll know, is that sometimes things just come really easily to, to those people mm. that, that they just seem to be able to do it straight away. It's so frustrating. And I've never been like that. I've, I've always had to really work at things. And, you know, that's, that's kind of no bad thing because... Absolutely. Especially now and, and what we've had to deal with in the past year and stuff, uh, I've kind of gone back to that of, of I'm really working pretty hard on my playing at the moment and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And I think to always remember that, that to get anywhere, you've got to work at it. So it's always my kind of advice to students uh, and, and to anybody really that, that it's there for you. But you have to put mm. the work in. And as soon as you stop working at it, that's when things will, you know. So it's, it, it never stops, mm. as you know. It never stops. We never figure it out. <laughs> we just have to keep going. Uh, absolutely. And it, it, it's funny. I was, I was talking with um, Zakir Hussein, the wonderful tabla wow. player, Brilliant. not so long ago. And, you know, he's such a humble, humble, humble man. I can't tell you. And... You know, basically, we all see him as a, as a god of, of tabla. We really do. And yet, you know, he said he's constantly just sitting at the tabla and almost thinking about the basics again. You know, mm -hmm. how is he sitting at the tabla? Are the hands talking to each other? You know, are they yeah. communicating with each other? What is the balance? And so on and so forth. I mean, what we regard as... as the the kind of basic ingredients, but yet everything has to spring from that. And it was just so interesting, really, you know, having someone like Zakir mention those sort of things, because you're right, it doesn't matter how much talent a particular individual has, everybody has to work, mm -hmm. you know, everybody has to work at something. You know, they, they really do. But, you know, the next thing I was going to ask was actually, you know, what do you believe are some of the ingrained habits or beliefs that you learned to cultivate over the, the years that you feel a percussionist could develop? And, and I mean, you mentioned just hard work and, and being motivated. What, what are the, some of the other things, do you feel? I, well, I, hard work and, a, and a, a good feeling for hard work, I think, are 
kind of the most important thing. You, you know that you're on a journey uh, and to get to where you want to go, you, you're going to go, go through some incredible highs uh, and you're going to go through some incredible lows when things aren't coming as quickly as you would, you would kind of like. But just in terms of, of, of my sort of personal direction and, and information that was passed on to me that's kind of become critical and that I would always impart to, to uh, younger musicians or anybody who's interested really, is that it, it, it's not just playing percussion, but, uh, but I think having a good sense of rhythm is kind of essential. Uh, it's obviously essential to, to what we do, but, but working on your time and your rhythm is something that you never stop doing. I think it's, it's, it's kind of the, the perfect performance or the, the, the perfect feeling that, oh, yeah, that time felt really good. It's always just out of reach. You can make it as good as it was on that day, but you're always thinking, well, maybe it'll be better tomorrow. So time is really important. Sound to me is is everything, and I know that this is really really important to you. But the the sound you make on an instrument is your signature, mm. and that to me says everything. Of, and, and, and what is so good about being a musician is is this ability to be able to communicate, and you know nobody does that better than you. And oh, to have this cool. ability to 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 use one sound to 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 make somebody feel something in the audience and, and, to, and to have that emotional response and resonance. I'm totally fascinated by that. So working on your time and your sound and then, you know, your, your ability to play with other musicians is, mm. is kind of critical. Uh, it's, it's very, very important to have good technique and good musical habits. Mm. But that kind of all goes out the window if you don't play with others very well so so being open really and enjoying others uh talents if you will and and what they bring to the music i think is is kind of crucial crucial to find out well where do i sit in in this particular mm. music and musical environment mm. that you happen to be in at the time it's interesting because you know when you mention sound do you think that's the one area whereby You've really got to listen from within. You know what I mean? I, I, by that I mean um, because sound comes from your own, you know, your own physical, you know, what, what you have, the length of your arms, the size of your, your hands, uh, mm -hmm. the, you know, how tall you are, how small you are, fat, little, whatever it might be, you know, that has an impact on, on your sound. I mean, do you think that's the one area whereby each individual has to take care of themselves, whereas the other elements, a teacher can, in fact, nurture and, and advise and support and so on. But somehow sound, that has to come from within. Do you feel? Yes, I, you, you make some very valid points there. I, I think as youngsters, you know, when, when, when you were at the academy and I was at the college, I think we were also incredibly influenced by the sound that that players that were playing at the time uh, we really respected 
So I make no bones about the fact. I mean, if, if you remember, you know, the, the great Kurt Hans Gerdiker, who's, mm. who's still head of department in, in your neck of the woods. <laughs> but if you remember, the one thing about Kurt was, was not only the fact that, you know, he looked so amazing, but it was that sound. Mm. It, was, it was, where did that come from? Uh, mm. It was the same with my timpani teacher, Alan Cumberland, who was not only yeah. just such a brilliant musician, but I, it, I was drawn by the sound. And I, and I think, you know, my love of wanting to play in an orchestra would, would just, it was, it was purely led by sound. And I was always gravitated to the players that made the best sound. Interesting. And then, of course, as I said, you know, you, you, you try and learn, well, what's, what are they doing that, that makes it sound so good? It was almost like dark arts. <laughs> and I'm going, wow, what is it? And, of course, you speak with them, eventually get to play with them, uh, you know, and I would say that, that for me, as much as I learned when I was uh, studying at college, I learned so much more once I started playing with the very people that I'd been watching you know, for a number of years before that and literally just sat next to them in the section and every day just coming away thinking, I'll never be able to make that sound. How do they do that? <laughs> uh, and of course, it, you know, again, I had to work on it and it kind of by os osmosis, if, if more than anything, it just sort of rubs off and then you find, oh, that's working. That's great. Now I know what, what it is. So I find that totally fascinating, but it, but it is incredibly important. Sound is kind of everything to me. It is. And I remember uh, with Kurt, you know, our wonderful timpanist, who's um, now at the Royal Scottish uh, Conservatoire for music and, and drama. And, yeah. and I, I was always intrigued by his hands because although he was quite, or he is quite small in stature, he's mm -hmm. not the tallest man in the world, but his hands are incredibly supple. I mean, they're mm -hmm. just, and they're quite large as well. And mm -hmm. I could never get my eyes off his hands, actually. And he always said, for example, with a roll on the timpani, he said, just shake it, shake it, just shake your hands, shake your hands. You know, just, yeah. And there was no more than that. It was a bit like... Um, uh, the wonderful Gary Cattell, you know, when yeah, I was a very yeah. young player, and I asked him to show me how to do a slap on a conga, you know, one yeah. of the strokes that are common to us as percussion players. And, and he said, oh, just hit it, just hit it, you know. <laughs> and it was so great. And But he just had wonderful hands to make a slap sound on a conga. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it is difficult to describe what it is that the body is actually doing, you know, to, to create that sound because it's just so natural to the player. Well, that's it. And, and of course, you know, you, you mentioned, you touched on physical characteristics there. And I think they do play a part. You know, the amazing thing uh, about, about Kurt uh, and Body Rich was the same, oh, you know, really? again, yes. the amazing Body Rich. But, yeah. but he was freakish in, in terms of, of his, uh, you know, the way his body worked. Mm. You know, we've all seen sort of films of body and it, it looks like it's speeded up. The film is, is speeded up in some way because he's moving so quickly. Well, he had unbelievably long arms in relation to the rest of his body. It's, it's true. Mm. Mm. So that literally when he was stood with his hands down by his sides, you know, they, they were sort of approaching his knees. It was, it was incredible. Now, that has to help when you're trying to get round uh, a piece of equipment like a drum set mm. that really quickly. Mm. That had to have helped. And, and he also... 
Oh, sorry. He also, no. Sorry. He also uh, had incredibly relaxed hands. So even though he could play very, very fast, uh, he was able to play in, a, in kind of a relaxed way. Uh, and that was kind of the same with Kurt. Again, mm -hmm. Kurt had quite long arms in relation to the rest of it. So again, to move from, from a, a top temp, hold on a minute, top temp, wrong side. <laughs> so to move from a, a top temp down to the bottom, mm. having that length of arm was going to help. Yeah. He also, I don't know whether you noticed this, he also had incredibly long thumbs. Yes, oh, I, that exactly, I did notice. <laughs> now that, I always said, and Kurt and I, I mean, we had a fantastic relationship at the orchestra, uh, you know, in, in the kind of 15 years that we spent together and, uh, you know, I cherish those times. But we spoke about it a lot because I offered, I said, look, part of your sound is the fact you've got this ridiculous <laughs> thumb. And he went... What do you mean? And I said, well, it's, it's a very long, powerful thumb. Mm. And he said, well, you're right. And, you know, we talked about strokes and things like that. Mm. And even when I got Kurt just to, just to, to literally hit the head of, of, of the timpani without any stick in his hand at all, you could still tell it was Kurt yeah, because everything moved. He didn't need a stick to make that sound on the head. So there you go. Physical it attributes. It's, it's important. So, it's so interesting, isn't it? So, Neil, one of the, the fascinating things I find about you, of course, is your versatility as a player. And, you know, is this something that you felt was important early on as a young, young player as you were going through your studies? Or is this just naturally evolved um, with the versatility of repertoire that, that you're having to play with the, the London Symphony? That's a really good question. I mean, again, I think as a youngster, uh, I've, I've always had this jazz itch, which uh, I have to scratch a lot. <laughs> so that's always been kind of part of what I do. And uh, again, because of the influences of, uh, of my mum and dad, uh, it's something I used to do a lot as a kid. So whilst I've got all my classical studies at Chet's and, you know, learning Bach and, you know, Scheherazade or, or whatever, uh, I've always played, a, you know, either a lot of jazz on piano or when I got to about 15, I bought my first vibraphone and then it, it kind of moved from there. So that side of things I've always been really, really interested in. Once you join an orchestra like the LSO, which, as you rightly say, has always had this incredible reputation for all of the different facets of music that are just thrown at you on a daily basis. And uh, it was something that, that, that kind of blew me away right from, from the word go, really, because I don't know whether you remember, but Andre Previn used to have these uh, series on BBC Two, when there were only three channels back then, as you remember, and it was called Andre Previn's Music Night. And I remember being about 15 and seeing this and going, what is that? Because I, I never knew that an orchestra could, could look like that. You know, back then you go to a concert and everybody's there or you see the proms or something like that. But there was just something just showbiz oh. about the LSO. And I thought, this is absolutely incredible. So... I think uh, if you're being fed uh, an incredibly varied musical diet, mm. you either have to work on it and get good quick, or you might have some attributes from 
earlier on in your musical development that will stand you in good stead. Mm. So it was it was kind of a bit of both, really, Evelyn. Uh, mm. I had some I had some improvisation and jazz sensibilities that only helped when you were doing an, a, a a concert with the LSO. And I, I remember doing one with you actually. I don't know whether you remember, and it was one of the summer pops, mm. and it was Johnny Dankworth conducting. Oh. And I and I can't remember the the con- I. Th- did you used to play the Sanson on Marimba? Was there a Sanson? Yes, introduction like... and Rondo Capriccioso. Oh, That's gosh. it. <laughs> and I think you played that. And in the same oh. concert was George Shearing <gasps> and Mel Torme. Do you remember that? Oh, gosh, I do, actually. I and do. it was incredible oh. because, you know, I mean, Johnny Dankworth, again, what an incredible musician oh, and what a my. fantastic oh. legacy. Oh, so, such a sweet man. Oh, just brilliant. So, again, to, to be thrust in that environment where we'd have to do, a, you know, a, a, a brilliant job for you. Uh, and, then if, and then, of course, George Shearing comes on and everything's oh. like, yeah, can we just play it there? And all, So, again, just being fed that yes. varied diet, I, I just ate it up. I absolutely oh. loved it. It, it. it was just brilliant. And, of course, this has really influenced the teaching that now goes on in the music establishments. I mean, the the Mm -hmm. students have such a wonderful diet of musical styles and and all sorts of things, the instruments, the the combinations, the possibilities and so on, which is so, so rich nowadays. I think that's really, really important, Evelyn, and I'm so glad you you picked up on that because, you know, I have a, a... when I started at the academy, and certainly when I got to be head of department, my, my, my big thing was, well, when we were kids, you know, when we were starting out at the academy, what would have been my kind of dream team to, to have had in the department sort of teaching all the various things? Because, as you, as you know, you, you had uh, Jimmy Blades and, and Nick Cole and, you know, there, there were some fantastic teachers, but the, the, the actual teachers tended to be, there were only a few of them. Uh, and you'd get the occasional specialist who would come in, mm. I don't know, once a year, once something mm. like that. And, and I just thought it was, it was time that we offered this to run in tandem with everything else, to, mm. to get great soloists in, great marimba soloists, great percussion soloists, mm. fantastic kit players, amazing vibraphone players, I think mm. you, amazing baroque timpanists. Mm. I think you have to have all that, and I think you have to give that to the students and just go, now where do you want to go with it? But yes. to give them that broad spectrum of musical styles in, in which to try and express themselves is, is absolutely what, what we have to do. So I, mm. I've always really believed in that, uh, and I think it's important. And, and yes, I, I probably go a little bit too far towards the jazz side sometimes, but that, that's kind of my passion. So, you know, yeah. I think as long as you're communicating that, that, that you're passionate about these things, mm. I think that can be often the, the best way of communicating full stop. It, it's thing. true. And I think it, this passion, both on and off the stage, that you ooze is, is just so <laughs> infectious. It, it really is. And I think that's why you've really influenced an awful lot of people, myself included, you know, to there's, there's always this sense of curiosity and, and ooh, what's that all about? Or, ooh, I could, you know, as you say, this past year, you've really, really, you know, attended to your playing perhaps more than 
what you've been able to do in the past because of all the, the traveling and the, the just the administration and, and all sorts of things that have to have to you know, it's all part of the job as it were um, but I mean one of the things that um, the LSO has really shown certainly I've noticed and maybe it's just me picking up on it now but is that there's a real sense of getting to know the players and this mm -hmm. has obviously helped through social media and you know you have some wonderful YouTube videos you know intro introducing uh, parts of repertoire or some of the instruments and then of course the wonderful LSO percussion section coming together as an ensemble and, mm -hmm. uh, and and just playing some wonderful music, you know, sometimes it's in the jazz style, sometimes it could be Steve Reich or, or more contemporary, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And yeah. but do you think social media has played a big part in reaching out to the audiences as far as the orchestra, as far as the individual members of the orchestra? Uh, without doubt, Evelyn. Uh... Social media has, I think, exploded the orchestras in an incredibly positive way because, as, as I said, you know, when I first saw the LSO on, on the TV on Andre Previn's Music Night, we couldn't suddenly get onto the internet and then research everybody's... So there was always a, an area of, you know, a little bit of a mystique about orchestral playing and the, it was fairly anonymous because we walk onto the stage, we've got the funny suit on, you know, the whole thing. And I think if social media has done anything but to actually bring this human element that, that we're just normal people at the end of the day who, who love playing music in an orchestra, and, and that's what we want to do. So if social media has uh, made us more familiar or just given an insight into what we, we might do or think, or even just to talk like we're doing at the moment or mm. to, you know, to maybe offer uh, maybe some advice on a particular piece of music, I think that's all really, really good. Uh, you mentioned my fantastic colleagues in the LSO, in, in Sam Walton and, and David Jackson, and it... It is, I, I can't say anything other than it's just an absolute treat to come to work every day, knowing, again, this is a recurring theme with me, that I'm working with such talented individuals on a daily basis. Mm. Uh, all orchestras are full of talented individuals. That's mm. why they're there. And it never ceases to amaze me that I, I can sit down and I won't really be having much to play. But... I'll still have a fantastic time just being blown away by, by the, the, the sheer talent and virtuosity of, of my colleagues. And, and David and Sam are, are fall into that category really, mm. really well. And, and, it, and it's a pleasure to work with them. So what we decided to do, that the whole percussion ensemble thing came about was because our brilliant managing director, uh, Catherine McDowell, said, well, why don't you put a CD out on the LSO Live label uh, and let's see what happens. And so we decided to do, uh, it was Steve's 80th, uh, and we, so we decided to put a Reich CD out. Now, you know and I know that there are lots of fantastic Steve Reich CDs out there. And we were just doing it because we loved the music. It went out on LSO Live. Well, who knew? It, it became like one of one of the best-selling CDs in, in the LSO Live catalogue, particularly in America. So what, you're going, what? what, what just happened? Uh, and then as and then as a result of that, Catherine came back and said, "Well, where do you want to go with the next one?" And again, with <laughs> my jazz sensibilities, I was pretty 
I was sort of pretty secure in, in, in my feeling that I wanted to take it in a certain direction. And then, of course, we invited back, again, another great friend of yours, fantastic Simon Carrington, mm. who used to be, uh, you know, was, was, was my colleague in the LSO for so many years. He was able to arrange some of these classic pieces by Chick Career and Makoto Ozoni that just sort of worked for, for mallet ensemble. So two vibes, two marimbas, I, feel, I think worked really, really brilliantly. So again, we did that, we put that CD out. Uh, and again, uh, you know, Chick, who, as you know, sadly, sadly died recently, mm-hmm. but we, we spent some time with him and he absolutely loved it. He's, he was a, he's a complete marimba knot, uh, Chick. <laughs> he, he loved it. In fact, there's, there's some, I, I remember going to see uh, a duo concert with, with Chick and, and Gary Burton and, and Chick started playing the marimba. I mean, oh, he, he just loved it, absolutely loved it. So uh, again, to have those opportunities and, and to play with such a amazing, amazingly talented players, it's, uh, it's, it's a joy to go to work, it really is. Absolutely, and, and, and as you say, it does bring this sort of human element to the, to the audience. I mean, I've loved watching the ensemble work through YouTube, because you think, oh, I recognise those people, or I've met those people, or you know, or oh, I remember those people, and and but there's just something quite special, you know, coming all together and and just providing incredible, incredible music, really. And uh, so, so thanks for that, and all credit to the LSO for giving the sections within the orchestra those opportunities, you know, to actually. Um, you know, create these recordings and to get them out, you know, to to the public. So that's really important. Well, you're so you're so right, Evelyn. And again, I think that's going to be kind of a theme moving forward because who knows what the musical none of us know what the musical landscape is going to be moving forward. We don't know what the landscape's going to be, let alone the musical mm-hmm. landscape. So you know, I think. It's not only recovering from the pandemic and, and where that might lead. You know, I just think the idea of, of, of jumping on a plane willy-nilly and orchestras flying here, there and everywhere, I think that's going to change as well, not only because of the pandemic. I think, you know, carbon footprinting, all of those sorts of things, all of those issues are, gonna, are, are going to come into play, quite rightly. And uh, I think the orchestra putting out smaller ensembles to go to maybe smaller venues, uh, as well as still, you know, the rich diet of orchestral activity that we do, I think that's going to be kind of a, a feature of, of maybe what all orchestras do mm. moving forward. Uh, it's it's right. It, yeah. It's such a joy to, to you know, no, I love playing in an orchestra, don't get me wrong, it's, it's, it's joyous when, mm. when you have a large group of people making music. I, mm. I, I can't describe it any other way than joyous. But as you know, either, either playing a solo piece or working with a small group of people, either in a quartet or quintet, that's irresistible too, really. Mm. So to, to get the opportunity to do it, I feel blessed. Yeah, really. yep. and of course, you've had that experience of being at the front of the orchestra as well as, of course, at the back of the orchestra in the section. <laughs> In your mind, what are those differences? What happens to you as a person, as a player, you know, being in those two different different areas of the orchestra? It just really brings home to me uh, and why I'm so full of admiration for for, for what you do because uh, it's a <laughs> no. scary it's a scary place out front, man. It can be a lonely as, place as sometimes. Well <laughs> so it's it's always been fantastic to get that opportunity. In fact, 
You've just recorded Carl's marimba concerto, have you not? Well, is it was that, a, is that a, right? a few years ago, but it's just more or less, give or take, been released, yes, with the Hong Kong Cha City Chamber Orchestra. Yes, indeed. But that was, Brilliant. was made so, a few years ago. As, as you know, Carl wrote... Uh, well, it, it, was the, it was the LSO's uh, centenary in, in 2004. So a series of commissions were, were written... Uh, using the uh, the principles of the orchestra but but they put really quite strange groups a bit not strange but you know there was like a double bass and harp one and there was a bassoon and something else uh and uh, I got Carl involved who as you know is this this wonderful wonderful musician mm. uh and he wrote it for piano flute and percussion mm. and again it, it it was just a joy to play it, it really really was in in terms of moving from the back to the front uh again i have to work very very hard at that i mean you know i i just have, i can't leave anything to chance i just have to make sure that I, i'm really on top of it and it uh, again it's uh it's uh, it's it's really exhilarating to uh, you know it's irresistible in a way sometimes you, you know to get that feeling and I know you get that all of the time but I I do enjoy it I have to say I really do enjoy it. Mm, interesting, isn't it? And you know, do you feel one of the the um, challenges that we all go through is uh, taking part in in auditions. Uh, whether mm -hmm. it's additions for orchestras or getting into establishments and so on. And, of course, that's always been quite a debate as regards to how these auditions are conducted. And, and normally you mm -hmm. walk on stage and you play what you need to play, and, and that's that. And, um, but now, of course, we have the introduction of screens and, and so mm -hmm. on. Have you in your time seen a difference in how auditions are conducted and, and what your thoughts might be on that? For sure, uh, Evelyn, and, and a great question. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really passionate and I, I care very deeply about auditions because at the end of the day, you're dealing with somebody who's going to be pretty nervous about coming on and, and, and playing for you. Mm. So, you know, let's take the LSO out of the equation at the moment, but, but certainly for the Royal Academy of Music, my job and the rest of the panel's job is to try and make them feel as comfortable as, as possible. You know they're going through it. So, I, you know, my whole ethos is to just make them feel comfortable, give them time, smile. And, and I actually love it. You know, I, I love meeting people. I love hearing them express themselves. And when they just sort of knock you over, not only with the talent, but, but just the way that they're just super prepared, they're super dedicated, and you kind of know, well, you're in, you know. Mm. I, I love that. I find that completely irresistible. Uh, so it, it's important to make people feel comfortable. Interestingly, this year, because of the pandemic, everybody that comes to the academy, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure, and this will be the same for all of the, all of the institutions, because we didn't do any live auditions, because mm. we couldn't, no, of course. everybody that comes to the academy this year will have auditioned via video. How about that to blow you? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm still getting over it. And, you know, we, we did the auditions, you know, kind of like three months ago. So I enjoy that contact. I think you learn so much about somebody by the way they walk into the room, shake your hand and just start to get their sticks out of the back. Do you know what I mean? It's, yes, it's, I do. It's, and you don't get that when, when, you're, when you're watching a video. So it'll be, be very, very interesting. 
Uh, on an orchestral level with auditions, again, you're dealing with, well, hopefully people who, who have learned to deal with their nerves a little bit better because they'll have had loads of help while well, they've been at college to, well, come on, just prepare, you'll be okay. So, of course, nerves will still be a, uh, an issue. But again, I still think it's important to make people feel welcome and that you're really yeah. interested in, in what they're doing. Mm. Screened auditions, I'm totally for screened auditions for all the reasons that, uh, for mm. why they're presented. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the LSO, we have a policy that all first round auditions are screened. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. and, and I'm cool with that and, and I think that works so yeah. and I think that that's pretty I mean we know that that has been the case on, on the continent and, uh, and maybe in the United States and other places for some time uh, but I, I think you'll probably find that the majority of, of all UK orchestras will, will, will be moving in that direction if they haven't already so mm. I'm, I'm totally with that if, if people feel comfortable be playing playing behind the screen, I don't know whether you've ever played behind the screen. No. It would, it would, me neither. It would, it would terrify me. Yeah. It would absolutely terrify me. So, uh, you know. I think I'd prefer a face looking at me grimly than, than having a screen in front of me, perhaps. But there we go. But yes, exactly. but it is interesting, yeah. isn't it, how things change. And But very interesting what you're saying about the, the, the uh, video auditions because mm -hmm. you know again just recently I was talking to a, a, a GP from the World Doctors Orchestra and uh, and of course he was saying that of course for him to conduct and to to meet his patients you know via Zoom appointment and so on is that he's only seeing half the body and so much of the information you know a medical person picks up on is exactly as you said you how they walk in the door how they sit down you know how, how they can how they how the posture is and the the speed mm -hmm. that they do things how they lay their bag down whatever it might be and. Yeah. Uh, and it is different. So there are lots of teeny, teeny little clues that we all pick up on that can either, you know, help support a situation. And you're quite right. Individuals are extremely nervous and anxious, you know, often during auditions or interviews and things. But it's those little things that a panel can pick up on that they can mm -hmm. use to support a situation rather than criticise and, and, and then... You know that paves the way for then just, you know, that anxiety to to um, be be slightly less, you know, less at the fore, as it were. Absolutely, Evelyn. I mean, of course, you know, there's lots of people who come and audition, and it, it's just like falling off a log. They're not nervous at all. They've they feel really well prepared, and they just come in and play, and that's absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I really do feel that you know that those that don't react in that way and, and maybe just the sense that it's been fine. They've done an audition the previous day and that absolutely went fine. And we know that, you know, nerves can just suddenly strike for, for no reason. We don't, we don't know why it happens. It just does sometimes. And, and it's how we deal with it in the moment. And I think if, if you're a, a panel member or you're running a, an audition and you can sense that, that nerves are getting the better of somebody, I, you know, I really do feel a, a, a kind of moral obligation to, to try and help with that, really, yep. and to just make, hey, just take a second, just, mm. you know, deep breath, we can, we can do it again. And look, it's only a mistake, it's only music. Yep. Yep. Nobody dies. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, the, the, the sun's not going to fall out of the sky just because you knock, knocked a note over in Porgy and Bess, you know, it's, it's just music. 
So I, you know, I, I try and get that over to people and just say, look, do your best. Just all I'm there for and all the panels that I sit on, all we're there is, is for people to play their absolute best. And when they do, it's a joy. Absolutely. And of course, the experience you've had playing live and of course, being in the studio, you know, mm -hmm. recording some of the most iconic repertoire and film music and so on. You know, what's the difference there when you're actually, you know, you've got that microphone in front of you and you might be sectioned off perhaps in, in, a, in a booth or sometimes not? Yeah. Or, you know, how does this play with your creativity? Well, that, that's really interesting. Uh, I, I think film music uh, and commercial music is, is different to recording, say, a Mahler symphony in, in a, a studio because then you just kind of do your own thing. A good engineer will have heard what an orchestra sounds like on a stage and a good engineer will try to recreate that sound. Mm. I'm a big believer in that. Obviously, when you're doing commercial and film music, they might want you to, to do things and, and play instruments that we don't normally play. Mm. So, you know, for instance, you know the complete and utter Pantechnican, much of which is behind you on the shelves, Evelyn. Uh, you know that we get to, to play these weird and wonderful instruments in, in film music. So, uh, again, it's just making sure all of the things that we've spoken about already, good time, good sound. Of course, when you're recording uh, film music, you'll often be working with a click track. Yes. So, you know, that discipline of, of working with a click is really, really important. And, mm. and again, I, I, I sort of talk to my students about that. You have to work with the metronome every day, you mm. know, the, the, the sort of... The stories of, oh, no, no, my, my time is naturally very good, you know, and I was just going, no, no, no. <laughs> you, if you want to be good at this, you've you, got to work with a metronome. Yeah, I mean, do you think that that could be part of an audition, actually working with a click track? You know, having, having well, I don't know, a couple of pieces, film music or something, where they actually have to work with a click track? Well, there is part of, uh, of the course, certainly the academy, and I'm sure all the other colleges, is where they have to go in and record some commercial music. So click track will be part of that. Okay. But because I'm, I'm always, you know, sort of telling my students, you have to work with a metronome every day, I'm hoping that it kind of becomes second nature. Yeah. But of course, you know, it's, it's interesting when, you know, we might get musicians joining the LSO who haven't really done that sort of work before. You know, in the first time they play uh, on a film soundtrack with, you know, the big headphones at Abbey Road or Air or something is the first time they do a film with the LSO. So it's a necessary skill and it's certainly a necessary attribute for, for all musicians if, if you want to play well in the studio. Mm. So playing on the click is kind of paramount. Of course, that then poses its own problems because very often then you can't hear your own sound. Mm -hmm. So you're often juggling, well, I really need to hear that a bit more or, or whatever. So again, you have to learn how to do that. But again, I just think playing with, with spirit, good sound, good time, playing on the click and listening, uh, because again, you'll be responding to music that you won't have seen before. So again, good sight reading ability is kind of essential in the studio. And that's what's brilliant about British musicians because, you know, I think we're renowned for it. I really do. I mean, obviously the Hollywood players, brilliant. And, and all the session musicians in, you know, all over the world. But, but I, think, I think British music, musicians have a, a fantastic reputation for that. Mm. So being able to react quickly to the music whilst playing on the click, whilst playing in time, whilst making a good sound 
is, uh, you know, these are skills that you have to work on. Mm, it's interesting. I, I remember um, in the very, very, very early days when I had just left the academy and I was asked to do, I don't know if you remember at all, but asked to do the sessions for Highway. It was a television program with Sir Harry Seacombe. A Harry long Seacombe. time ago, an awful yeah, long time ago. Yeah. And yeah. so I just said, OK, yes, I'll, I'll give it a go. And what I found was exactly what you said. It wasn't so much working with the click. It was um, uh, sight reading, for sure, because the parts were just handed out right there and then, and then quickly working out, right, that's timpani, that's drums, that's xylophone or glockenspiel or vibraphone or whatever it was. But then when Sir Harry arrived, we would try the song, because it was mainly songs, um, and sort of incidental music, in between music. And he would say, oh, actually, I quite like that down a tone or up a tone or a third or whatever it is. Wow. And, you know, so it was the transposition and the sight reading that were the two key, key things, ingredients that I found were absolutely needed in that kind of situation. So, so it is interesting, isn't it, how sometimes just being on the spot is, is not a bad thing to, to, to deal with. Well, of course, transposition is not some, something that's usually on our radar, Evelyn. So, I mean, that, that's amazing that you did that. I mean, obviously, for transposing instruments, it's second nature to them. Mm. Uh, I, I have to say, I've not often been asked to, to okay. transpose. Because, mm -hmm. uh, again, I'd need to work at it. I mean, I'd, I'd be shocking at transposition. Uh, Ooh, so, again, it's, it's, it it's like something I would... You know, I would need to work on. But, uh, yeah, all of those skills, super important. And Harry Seacombe, a legend, by the way. I oh, used to love Harry Seacombe. He's such just a brilliant. sweet, sweet, sweet man. He was just yeah. a gentle giant, really. He, he yes. really was. But you mentioned that this past year you've been able to, you know, focus on your playing because that's one mm -hmm. of the things that's really changed for so many of us as, as musicians is that the concerts have disappeared uh, so what do we work on, you know? <laughs> and it's been, it's been fascinating, actually, to see how the, how the mind, you know, diverts itself. And what have been the revelations for you uh, this past year as a musician, as a percussion player, as a sound creator? Well, it's interesting that you, you mentioned uh, Zakir right at the beginning of the... Uh of the interview and uh, as he sagaciously said working on the basics yeah. I, they're always to be relied on they don't lie the basics if the <laughs> basics aren't happening then you can forget the rest of it mm -hmm. so that's been one thing for me is is to just working on the basics and i have to say you know getting to the age that i am now I have to practice more than I used to do because, you know, I need to warm these things up in a way that, you know, when I was a kid or, you know, just even younger, I didn't even think about it. You know, it would just work. Mm. Whereas uh, I'm sure this doesn't happen to you. Yes, but, no, it, you know, absolutely it does. Things kind of don't work like they used to, used to work. So that's been one side of things. I, I think also what this has enabled us to do... Uh, and, you know, I'm currently involved in this at the moment. And again, it, might, it takes in a different direction. But the ability to be able to collaborate with people 
where you're literally just sending music files to each other and they send you some stems and, oh, Evelyn, can you can you put some snare drum there and then in bar 50 we'll just like some shaker and then do... And then you do it all and then you send it back and then all of a sudden you're on a CD. That, I think, there's going to be much more of that because yes. it cuts down on cost. Uh, I, I'm in the middle of such a project with a good friend of mine, a fantastic uh, vibraphone player, Joe Locke, and that's exactly what we're doing is that arrangements are, are being made. Uh, and this is kind of like poppy stuff, uh, really, and, and, and jazz-oriented music. And we're just all doing our own thing. I'm recording in my studio. He's recording in his. The vocalist will do something. We'll then send it to a guitar player. They put it, And then you put it together, and boom, there it is. Who'd have thought that we'd have been doing that? I mean, who'd heard of Zoom? before a year ago, and now we're all experts, exactly. you know? Exactly, and I think what, what's so interesting about that way of working is that, you know, if you had to go into a studio, you'd have to think, certainly as percussion players, oh, right, well, which shaker shall I bring, or which, which mm -hmm. drum, or tambourine, or triangle, or whatever, but if you're doing it in the privacy of your own four walls, you know, you can absolutely choose, you know, right there and then what, what you want, and if something doesn't quite work well, we can pick that one off the shelf or that one off the shelf. So you've, you've got more possibilities. Well, that's it. And, and also, and I don't know whether you found this, but, but I think being on top of music tech, uh, and so I'm on a massively steep logic <laughs> learning curve at the moment uh, in, in to, on this very computer, actually, of, of just getting to use logic and, and use it well. But the beauty of it is, as you rightly say, is that, you know, the stems will be sent to you and you can put something down and you can... No, I don't like that at all. Erase, boom, and then you put another one down. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, moving forward, and it's certainly something I'm saying to my students, I think it's going to be important to all musicians. Uh, lots of musicians have always been very good at the tech side, but not all of them. And I think now the, uh, you know, the, the actual tech side of things is becoming more and more accessible. And I think it's going to be really important moving forward that we all at least know kind of what we're doing and if somebody does want to send us some tracks we can actually yeah i can deal with that when do you want them back by oh yeah week on friday that's fine i'll have them back to you i, mm. I think that's going to be you know kind of the future i and, really do and internationally you know it 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 this can all happen on a global global scale you know in a way technology is almost like a uh, an extension of of our arsenal it's like another instrument it's 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 you know something that is absolutely i feel going to be necessary in order to sure. function as a as a musician so playing your instrument is one thing but hand in hand with that will be the the technology i think you're absolutely right evelyn and, and by extension i think the teaching side of things uh, you know, we, we've already spoke about auditions. The, the teaching side has its downsides when you're communicating this way. and But that's so much better than not being able to teach at all. Mm. Uh, and I found certainly at the academy is, is that there's, there's people that we've, we've got involved who have been willing to come in and, and do a, a three-hour class with the students or whatever that would have had no interest in flying to London and, and schlepping and doing all of that business, but they're more than happy to sit down in front of a screen and talk to students and do that. I think that is going to be 
worked into the curriculum. It's not always going to be about having somebody in the room to, to get their precious advice. Mm. And I think, you know, you, you, we've got to look for positives of the pandemic if there are any to be found. But I think this medium is is certainly one that will be, just because it's developed so quickly, that will be... It will be part of everyday day life moving forward. I, I really do think that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I've always seen you as such a positive, optimistic person. And, and I think that there are real opportunities to come out of this situation. It's been absolutely horrific uh, on, on one side, but there's always a yin and yang. And I think that when you recognise that the, the, the possibilities, you know, the opportunities, it... it and that always needs time to develop and then to see, oh, that works really well or, oh, that needs improving or you know, need more more emphasis on that. Whatever it might be, it needs time. But I think absolutely the, the industry will be in a very, very good position. It'll be different, but in a good position. You're absolutely right. And, I, you know, I feel very lucky uh, in, in that it's not, you know, yeah. Obviously, I, my my income is down, and we haven't done as many concerts, and you know, woe is me, and all of the rest of it. But in comparison to to, to some people who've left the profession altogether, or, or just you know, so many that have been hit by the pandemic in so many negative ways, I feel very very lucky, and I feel mm. you know deeply conscious of, of of the fact that you know, I think if you can say you're just kind of rolling along, mm. you, you're kind of okay. So you're absolutely right, Evelyn. I think whatever the landscape is, when we come back, it won't be the same. We don't know what it will be, but it certainly won't be the same. And, and I think taking our colleagues with us, mm. uh, you know, if we, if we just take a certain group. So, you know, I'm really, really sensitive to, to, to kids that literally just left yes. the academy. So, so not the ones that are still in the academy. I mean, I, I, I think anybody who's in education at the moment, it's a brilliant place to be, as in a student, mm. because you can forget the pandemic, and I've been saying this to my students continually over the past year, forget about it, because by the time you're out, yeah. we'll be the other side of this, and that will be what it will be, but it won't be what we found ourselves in over the past year. So mm. crack on, work on your playing, Become the best player you can be, mm. and by the time you're out, you'll be good to go. The people I really feel for uh, are the kids that had literally just graduated or only been out one or two years and kind of haven't, you know, they were doing well, but then it just went to nothing. Uh, and, you know, there'll be older players that would have found themselves in, in the same position. So I'm, I'm really, really sensitive that moving forward... Those are kind of the people that I'll be wanting to help in what little way I can by way of work that I can I can offer at the LSO. So, mm. you know, it's, it's interesting because although the LSO has been working right the way through it, we went back in July and we've been, you know, working right the way through it. It's all, you know, nobody's going to be playing Marla 2 anytime soon. Sure. Because you just can't get that number of people on the stage at the moment because of the, the COVID regulations. So all of our stuff has been fairly small. Mm. But next week, uh, we're, we're doing Off Rand by uh, Verez, which has got eight percussion in. So I've been absolutely thrilled to, to say to a number of people that I haven't seen for, well, at least a year, really looking forward to seeing you next week. 
So it's it's green shoots, you know. Amazing, you know, Neil. It's been an absolute pleasure, and it's it's so incredible that you know we don't need zillions of instruments. That just your smile, your laughter, your words, everything about you, you know, is is such a a positive form of communication. And and you know, I've said it so many times that it's the reason why I think percussion is in such a good place, you know, in this country and beyond because of your passion, your curiosity and, and just how you value everybody and value their story and try to support that story. And so I think that, you know, we're all very, very lucky to be part of, of your journey and, and to, to certainly in, in my case, you know, be growing up, you know, in the same generation as you and, and just seeing the passion that you have. Well, that's so kind of you to say so, Evelyn. I mean, all I would say is is that your passion has always rubbed <laughs> off on me and, 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 and seeing, you know, the incredible things that, that you've done oh, has served not only to, to be an inspiration to me, but so many of the, of, of the kids that I've been fortunate enough to... Mm to have, have come into contact with o o over the years. So I think as long as, you know, we keep that passion there, passion for the music and, and passion for good humour and passion for communication, it, it can only be a good thing for those who, who are going to be following us. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's important. That's really important to me. Who's coming next? Who's knocking on the door? Who wants my job? Who wants to be performing a percussion solo with the world's great orchestras? Those people are the future and they're, they're incredibly incredibly important so so thanks so much it's been it's been so great to have a natter when was the last time we had a natter so so thank you so much and it's, it's been a real pleasure and a treat thank you neil thank you i would like to say a very special thank you to audio network for supporting my podcast thank you so much for listening see you in my next one